Welcome to another episode of the Think Bigger Podcast, Community Conversations, and today I have the homie Drew. What's up, Drew? What up, Mike? <laughs> I appreciate you being here, man. We've talked about it, but uh, making it happen, and then it turned into being able to make it happen this way. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. You know, we always bounce ideas off of each other. We get to run into each other, but we haven't really had a chance to break bread and to really get into certain subjects. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and next thing you know, we're going to be just kind of wilding out on this one. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of people who know, right? They're going to know something you're related to, some, some business venture. But what about for people who have absolutely no idea who Andrew Manley Ooh. is? Let's, I want you to go, man. Go. Just break it down. That's deep. Now I'm just playing. You know, um, for me, I think somewhere in college, after high school, trying to find myself was kind of the big start of... You mean like philosophically? What do I want to be? What do I want to do? Yeah, because yeah. I think after high school, like this whole notion <laughs> of like what you want to do with your life, sure. for me, kind of hit me hard. Because after, you know, because I was in high school, you know, you know, working hard, getting good grades and all that stuff. <clears throat> but then I got into college. I went to Irvine, UC Irvine. And when I went there, I kind of had a lot of turmoil, like trying to figure out what I want to do in my life. So okay. I, I entered as a bio major, and I realized it wasn't really for me when I walked into the orientation room, and it was filled with a bunch of Korean, Chinese, and Indians. Shout out to my homies. Okay, so that was a so load a bunch of, of people that was a like load you. of mid-key races. <laughs> but but you're like saying, a, you, you definitely had this idea academically of this major, and you didn't even get a quarter, a semester, a year in. You walked into orientation, yeah. saw the skin color of the people no, in no, there, and not. turned around and left. It wasn't, even the skin, it wasn't even the skin color. It was the smell of mothballs. Oh, dude. No you joke. Are You're a terrible person. I, I walked in late, and I walked in. I was like, goodness gracious, Mo- dude. Are you being serious? I'm serious. Mothballs. Mothballs. Like heavy Chinese like mothballs, bro. I walked in, and I was like, yo. And you legitimately decided to not major in that. I walked in late. Um... A bunch of Chinese, Indian, and Korean kids yes. were looking at me, and I was looking at them. And yes. I stood there for at least 40 seconds. Just scanning the room? Just scanning the room. And they scanning you back? Yeah, they're like, what the hell? Because I came in really late and really obnoxious. How so, late? How late are we talking? Probably about like 15, 20 minutes late. Okay, was the teacher aware that you walked in that Well, late? I mean, whoever was yeah, doing the orientation. Yes, they saw you? They, yeah. And they didn't say anything? I came in super loud. Uh, on purpose? I was just being a dick. Okay. Yeah. So I came in and I was like, dude, the mothballs was strong, bro. Okay. I still smell it right now. Okay. Yeah. I was like. And 40 seconds later, did you do an about face and walk right out? Yeah, I did. In my mind, I was saying, you know what? Like I could dedicate to doing like the pursuit of, you know, medicine or science. Sure. But I was like, dude, I know for a fact, I just don't think I'm going to commit to it. So I was like, you know what? I'm out. Was that already in the back of your mind? No, no. So it was in some ways quite impulsive. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So 40 seconds, scan the room, they scan you, teacher staring at you like, are you going to sit? And then you just turned around and walked out. Yeah. And to do what? What did you do when you walked out? I went out? to undecided major, uh, their office. So you walked straight from yeah. orientation to the academic advisor? Yeah, not the advisor, but the undecided had an office. Yeah. I just went straight there. Straight there. And I was like, I want to change my major. Yes. 
to understand it. And they were like, it's 17 minutes into the first day <laughs> of orientation. Like, <laughs> they're like, I like your style. No, did, did anyone say anything? Or you, they were just like, oh, okay. Yeah, they were like, all right, cool. Check the box, you're undecided now. I changed right away. I didn't tell my parents or anything. So um, I changed my major, but in my freshman year of high school, in college, yes. I shared a space with five other people. Okay. And about three of them were also bio majors. Okay. But, you know, they were kind of giving me a hard time saying, dude, you're not even trying, you're sure. quitting, blah, blah, sure. blah. And I was like, look, I've already decided it's not for me. Yes. The funny thing is, the irony is, the other two, they failed the entire freshman year. I think OCAM is, which is like a 78% failure yeah. rate. Oh, the yeah. ones who told you that you're not even trying. Yeah. They went and tried. They tried and, and failed. They tried and failed, yeah. Okay. Because it's, it's uh, and they're smart people, but, you know, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough mm-hmm. curriculum. And um, once again, to me, it, was, it wasn't even about being hard or not. It's just I felt in deep inside that I just didn't think that's what I wanted to pursue. Because I was good at, like, maths and sciences <clears> in high school. <throat> but I just knew going in, like, the future of where I, I was headed wasn't, it wasn't calling my name. So was there a part of you doing this whole bio thing? Was that somewhere in the back of your head, bio pre-med? Like you were yeah. going to go in the direction yeah. of being a medical doctor? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you hadn't committed, apparently, so that when, that when that moment happened, it was your turning point. Literally, you turn around, go and go undecided, right? Yeah. But leading up to that point, leading up to college, your high school years, how did, I mean, where? Where was the inclination to even decide to go bio? I mean, I, I was just... Family? Science, science, no, my parents didn't really put that much pressure on me to become like a doctor. Yeah. But it was just, you know, sci- I just like sciences and math. And so it was just kind of like, you know, you have to, it's like choosing a major was a lot of pressure for me because I didn't really know what I wanted to do with yeah. my life. So, uh, so I just picked bio because, you know, it's just kind of the direction I felt like I was headed. Okay. So, so you get to that point, right? <clears throat> You, you're in college. You're, what, 18, 19 years old? Yeah, 18. 18, right? So yeah. fresh out of high school, you go to your your first day, go to become undecided. Yeah. And then how did you proceed from there? Uh, I went out and took all my breath courses, which are kind of like your GED courses. And I kind of, you know, my fresh, I remember my very first quarter, all my classes were at 8 a.m. I bought all the books. Yeah. You know, I was trying to be a good student. And by the second quarter, man, I fucking didn't buy a single book. Um, I didn't buy, I didn't go to any classes. I just showed up to the midterms and finals. So they didn't do attendance? No, because you know, when you're in college, especially the, the uh, undergrad stuff, yeah. uh, the lower, the, the lower um, what do you call it? The lower, um, like undergraduate. Lower divi- yeah, yeah, the lower division stuff. The, um, you know, you're usually in massive halls, right? Right. And right. There's, nobody's checking attendance. Okay. You know? And so um, I think the first quarter I spent, Probably like $700 on books. Did you study? When you're saying that you just showed up to midterms and finals, yeah. were you just cramming? Uh, yeah. You were just cramming? Yeah, yeah. So what, an hour or five hours before, read through just everything? Just the night before, yeah. Just the night before? Yeah. Okay. So I'll so, go to study groups and stuff. Oh, so you would? Yeah. Leading up to the midterm and the final? Yeah. All right, so uh, was that something you were always able to do in high school, being able to retain in short, short yeah. term? Actually, that's pretty much how I... I, I function like super last minute. Even to in. this day? I try not to do it as much today. Like okay. I try to space things out because I have a lot on my plate. So, okay, midterms and finals, you're apparently passing, right? Doing more than passing. Yeah, actually, when I got to college, I realized that grades really didn't have a significance because okay. I wasn't, I, I mean, I wasn't really planning on going to grad school or anything. So my point was just to, was to pass. 
I don't remember what grades I was getting. I was probably getting B's and stuff. Sure. But, you know, it's just, I was passing. Well, I mean, you say they didn't have any significance because you weren't trying to get into the most elite program yeah. or something like that. But, I mean, for someone who is, the grades do play a very significant role. And yeah. They're important. Yeah. So in the con- you already had the context that you were just like, it's just not that serious. I do need to pass. Yeah. I'll put some effort. But I mean, did you did you think that that was dangerous or were you already no. you were already like I'm, I, was, I know what I'm doing. I was angry in college because I was taking a lot of uh the lower division breadth courses to yes. me was an extension of high school. And, and I an felt expensive like, extension of high school. Exa- exactly. Yes. But I was really pissed off because I'm like, yo, I just finished high school. Why the fuck are we Sure. still doing high school shit? Sure, like, sure. I feel like college should be an exploration of things that you want to do in your life. Yes. Right? And all of this stuff is then it really got into the politics of institutions and yes. I'm really against a lot of this stuff. Like when I when I meet somebody who's young, yes. they come up to me for advice. Yes. And they're like, hey, should I go to art school? I was like, first thing I say is fuck no. Like hell no should you go to art school. Art school is so expensive. You're talking about forty, sixty thousand a year? Yeah. <clears throat> Dude, I remember when I started my camera shop, these two girls that went to Brooks Institute. Yes. I, I had I had read um, uh, something on the internet about how Brooks Institute was over a hundred thousand dollars. Yes, I met these girls. They had just finished the program. Okay, and I was like, "Hey, I heard that um, the tuition is over a hundred grand." And they were like, "Yeah, it is." Yeah, and I was like, "So what are you doing now?" Yes, they they told me they were working at the mall, as uh, they worked in like a little kids photography <clears throat> thing. That's a hell of a job to get after that Bro, much of a tuition. I'm thinking like you don't even need to go to college to get that job. To get that job. You know, and to me it's like this idea that they owed $120,000. Yes. Dude, that is a lot of money. Okay, absolutely. But you touched on two things, right? Yeah. So you said, quote, fuck no yeah. for somebody to go to art school. Yeah. Okay. Now, if there's a 16-year-old yeah. right now listening, yeah. put that into context for them. Yeah. Not just don't go because you can learn it yourself. That's oversimplified. Yeah. Give give someone and and for for all of the people listening, Drew has the ability to say this because and we're gonna get into that. You mentioned the camera shop, but it isn't just oh I don't think that's worth it, so I'm not gonna do it. Right. It wasn't just that simple. Yeah. You had ventures, you had ideas, and you had the the drive to make them happen. And there was so that there's a there's a, a positive outcome, not just f school, right? But why? Why? What would be in a nutshell? 16, 14-year-old, even a 20-year-old who's trying to figure it out, really loves design, website design, automotive design, engineering, whatever, right? Why? Why would you say, as a successful businessman, why would you tell them, do not go to school? My thing is, like, I'm not against education. And I think that if you want to learn something, like, you can find out how to do something. And if you really want to pursue something, I feel like... This is where like young kids probably will have more trouble because now, not, not even just nowadays, I think just 18 years in general yes. are usually kind of lost and confused. Yes. It, I mean, if you absolutely know what you want to do, like if you say, I want to become a firefighter yeah. or if I want to become a specific type of artist sure, sure. or whatever the case is, like you're going 150% yes. in that direction. But the thing is, for me... I don't have a problem with you going to college. Yes. I have a problem with people going to overpriced institutions, right? Let's say you want to go to certain schools that are known for photography or whatever the case is. My thing is, if you really want to learn something, you will find a way to get it. Dude, especially in this day and age. All the information you could ever want 
It's true. It's totally accessible. I think, I think one of the pros of, of the academic journey yeah. is that it's structured and it's presented to you in a broken down fashion. Now, of course, the argument can be made that that's just like a sheep kind of, you know, following the herd, right? But okay, all right. Sorry, I appreciate bad. you not turning that off, even though I asked you to. <laughs> it's Good all work. silent, bro. That's it's my it. alarm. Okay. Right Remember now. how I said airplane mode? Yeah. Anyways, okay. Bro, nobody's so, using airplane mode. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, is like I think for the average person, and I'm not even trying to get all into this whole, um, you know, you're just a sheep. I'm not even going yeah, that yeah, route. Of course not. But by having a structured breakdown, so you have your your core, you know, foundational courses, yeah, yeah. which. In your sense, you looked at it as just an extension of high school, it's bullshit, yeah. but it leads you up until you get into this, you know, upper division, post baccalaureate, you know, doctorate type settings, sure. right? I think for the average person, it, it plays its role. But if you're talking about um, the cost to, to the ratio of the cost, I get what you're saying, right? But I mean, what about someone who goes to dental school, uh, you know, medical school? Sure. You're coming out a quarter million in debt. Or more. Okay. Do you think that that's worth it? I mean, of, of course, in the medical field, you know, you have to pursue degrees. Yes. Uh, but for most people, man, if, if, you're t- if you're pursuing anything in the arts or business, I mean, there's so many things that you can learn outside of school. Yeah. The biggest thing right now is I realize the only real thing that any real institution, especially a high-level institution, really offers you is networking. Right? Okay. Like if your, your professors are connected. Sure. If your other... Um, you know, your, your fellow students yes. are well-connected. They come from certain communities or frats or whatever the case is. To me, there's a great amount of... Um, At least potential. Potential for that, yeah. right? If you can utilize that properly. <clears throat> but if you're just going to school to just get good grades and, you know, hope that you can find yourself in, um, in some trade that you're, you're, you're kind of learning. Sure. For me, like, the thing is, if you want to go to college, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of community colleges. Yeah. Because when you go to community colleges, there's tons of options. Like when I went to Irvine at the time, when I went to Undecided, what I found out later was there wasn't a lot of option for me to explore. Like I ended up going to economics, I ended up going to the arts, I ended up going with uh, criminal justice, but there wasn't a lot of play for me. There wasn't yeah. like an, there wasn't an actual business major back then. It was yeah. only economics. But later on, when I went to community college for a summer to kind of catch up on some courses, man, when you open that book up, you're like, dude, you can learn all sorts of stuff. Yes, and I feel like. In the beginning, foundationally, yeah, maybe you can go to school and learn some stuff on a, on a surface level. Yes. But if you really want to propel at something, I just feel like if you have the will and strength to want to do something great, yes. like you will find it at any cost. You know what? It, that's an important point, okay? It's an important point. And I think a lot of my like really loyal listeners and people who even before the Think Bigger podcast was a thing and just, you know, via Instagram or on the forums, you know, when the car forums were a big thing, people who kind of like started following along, it sort of probably sounds redundant now. Now. But you, you just hit the nail on the head. You know, the hat I was wearing earlier, it says passion, drive, and focus, right? And and you just said the will, right? That's the drive, the work ethic, and the yeah. willpower, right? A lot of people have passion. You can find that anywhere. As car people, you go to a car meet in a parking lot. Everyone's passionate. People will talk to you about their wheels, the offset, the trim, the year, you know, air-cooled, water-cooled, however you want to break down cars, right? They're, they're, the passion is there. But what makes one person stand out or a group or one type uh, excel when other people sort of just remain in the middle? And that's, that's not the passion, in my opinion. It's the willpower, yeah. right? It's the drive, and they're able to maintain that kind of po- type of focus. So for you, you mentioned this camera shop, right? At what age did you say to yourself, photography is interesting to me, and then to take it up as a hobby – 
And then when did that turn into, I actually want to open up a business related to photography? Well, when I was changing my majors in college, yes, um, I stumbled up, uh, I had to take a couple of art classes, part of the curriculum. Sure. And I realized that, um, like the Asian art history stuff that I was taking, I, I mean, obviously I wasn't a big fan of that stuff. I, you know, I struggled to show up to class and learn the stuff. But it wasn't until I actually took a couple of art courses where I had professors that really kind of asked me some questions yeah. that I felt like, I, you know, for me, like the struggle was when I went into the arts, like I never really had an art background per se, where like I learned how to be an artist, yes. you know, technical ability. Yes. But then I didn't realize later until later on that the art, the whole scheme of art in, in, in Irvine or in general in life is art is not the capability of you to do something at a very fine level. Art really is just an ideal for you to say, hey, look, I want to take this idea about something, about yes. some sort of social issue, and I want to put that on some sort of canvas. Express or, it. Yeah, it could be, be performance-based. It could be anything-based to try to get somebody to see it and go, man, that, that made me think a little bit. That okay. made me kind of open me up a bit. Yeah, that yeah. really is what art is. It's, yes. it's taking that ideal and getting somebody to open up to stimulate thought. Exactly. And conversation. Yes. That's what really art is. Yes. At the end of the day, and it took me some time to get there, but when I first started off, art was kind of put, asking, it was making me ask questions that I normally did all my life, but it was doing it in a way that allowed me to be a little bit more conscious of it. That definition of art, as much as it seems so obvious the way you've presented it, I think a lot of people inadvertently miss that. Yeah. They think of art as, um, you know, maybe, um, a way to let out some steam. People think of art as you know something to be skilled at, sure. and then people think of art as something subjective and some way to make money, perhaps. Sure. But the, the simplicity of what you just said as a way to um, not just express yourself but to stimulate thought, you know, that's like the the entire premise of the Think Bigger project and sure. the podcast. It's to stimulate thought. It's a, it's not about telling people what to think. It's guiding them on how to think, yeah. right? And it allows them to make their decisions. And I think that's why art is so powerful. And the people who don't get it are like, why did that piece sell for so much? Why is this artist so famous? And there's really no way you can quantify the effect that you have on the culture exactly. or the community, um, at least monetarily, right, or numerically. But you can affect it by the, the way that you have guided someone uh, to do something or change the way that they think. So I really like the way that you've worded art. But I mean... Art, you found one of your channels for art was photography. Yeah, so... When and how? When I was actually... When I was, in, when I was kind of starting to enter into the arts, I kind of fell in love with film a lot. I was watching a lot of movies, and I had desire to maybe transfer out and go to an L.A. school okay. where I can kind of concentrate on filmmaking. Yes. Um, we had a professor named Bruce Yonemoto, who's a really renowned video artist. And um, for my intermediate video class, I had... Um, I wasn't able to get his class. I, uh, his class was already getting, getting filled up. Okay. And uh, I, I signed up for an intermediate. So I took a beginner's photography, and it was taught by this professor who was just terrible. He didn't really care about anybody. Okay. And so I didn't really have a desire for it. Like in, in high school, I was doing a lot of it, but I didn't really, I wouldn't say like I was passionate about it. All right. It was just like an elective. Yeah. When I signed up for intermediate photography, it was only as a placeholder so that I can try to add intermediate video as a part of my, uh, for, for that particular quarter. Okay. Um, but what ended up happening was our professor, Dennis Keeley, um, 
he, he actually said in the classroom, I was about to stand up and have him um, uh, write me out of the, um, the class so I can go and you know, apply for the intermediate video. Okay. And as I was about to get up, he said, look, guys, uh, I'm going to push you. This class is going to make you think. And if you don't want to be pushed, just leave. How many people got up and left? I was about to do that, and then I was like, damn it, now it looks like I'm just quitting. Sure. When I was just about to get up. And so... Dude, how many people got up? Nobody got up. Nobody. Nobody got up. So did he, the man was playing checkers yeah. or chess with you guys, really. Yeah. Because he, he made everyone just be like, if I get up now, I look like a bitch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you were like, I'm not I'm, I'm no not, bitch. I ain't no bitch. I ain't no bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no bitch, man. I'm so you here. stayed? I stayed. And I, are you glad that you did? I mean... I don't have any regrets, okay. but you know, sometimes I think about like what direction I would headed if I did stay in video. Yes, um, but my my course after that point changed dramatically because okay. I became very obsessed with photography because of that class. Yeah, or no, no, because of that class, yeah. or was it already in the back of your mind that that class helped put it into focus? Pun intended. No, it's <laughs> it's uh, no. I would I would say it w- it was that professor. Okay, so. Kind of going back to the thing, you know, about college is that. Okay. All right. Dude, okay. Appreciate dudes. that happening again. <laughs> it's all right. Let's go ahead and address that right now, please. <laughs> okay. Airplane mode, bro. Yeah, it's you. on airplane mode. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So I would say this. Um, college is one of those things where like, if I think about my entire educational journey. Yes. I would say of that journey, I probably only had maybe three teachers. That I felt like impacted my made life. an impact made an impact. I see. So I, for the most part, I feel like education in general. Yes. For me, was a waste of time. And you know, I use that loosely because everyone's gonna come in here and make their arguments. Sure. But for me, that impacted my life today. Yes. I would say it was probably about three teachers. But you know, the part that's ironic about that is that yes, you're talking about education, and if I don't even suggest necessarily going to school, and yet whether it was one, two, or three, right? Those profound impacts came because you were in school. Yeah, but I do also feel like I would have pursued it. Like right now, like, you know, I would say I, I've mentored about 19 kids yes. in the last like eight years. Yes. You know, and, you know, these kids found me circumstantially through my shop or whatever the case is, or they found me through my work. Yes. But it, once again, it goes back to this idea that if you really want something, you will seek somebody to help you. Okay, right? mentorship, and, and, sure. And for, for me, it, it, ha- it happened circumstantially, right? Because I wasn't going to school to, in Irvine because I was like, oh, this school's known for photography. I'm yes. going to go and level up. Yeah. You know, it's circumstantially, it happened because I'm the type of person that likes to be challenged, right? Some people get motivation by saying, yo, Mike, you can't do this. Your, your podcast is going to suck and you're just a loser. Yes. You can go... <laughs> Some people will use that. Yes. Okay, let me show you. You sure, know what I'm saying? Sure. And some people will go, oh man, like, you know, he said that I'm going to suck, so I'm just going to go and suck. Yes. You know, I'm not going to start it. You know, so for me, it was one of those things that. Well, those are for bitch made people. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? But for me, the biggest thing was the reason why I stayed in that class wasn't only because I would look like a bitch in front of people. Yes. Was because I actually felt like this professor actually cared. Okay. Because he was like, Shit. So it wasn't just how he said it. But it was a, you could feel it. It was a vibe that he actually wanted to positively influence imagine, his students. I mean, like I just said, my, my beginning photography teacher was like, he just didn't care. He gave sure. us a piece of paper and said, hey, look, these are your settings and stuff. And just read over it. Okay. You know, I'm like, what is that? Sure, you know what I'm saying? Sure. So for me, having that type of presence with Dennis 
made me go, damn, man, maybe I might learn something. So is that teacher what made you love photography enough to then, aside from just going and shooting thousands of shots and, and doing, you know, flowers and cars and buildings and, you know, all the stuff that people do to get a feel for depth, of, you know, and all that type of thing. When, how did that turn? Where did the entrepreneurial venture side, where, where did you decide that you wanted to turn this into a business? Well, I think in general, I mean, I think it's, it's ingrained in my blood being Korean. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I think just in general, lots of times when you are a minority yes. and your family has to get by by any means. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like I saw my parents grind. My parents have been business owners all my life. Yes. So naturally, like when I got out of my school, my dad was like, you know, when I had ended up in the arts, when I finally told my parents, my dad was like, okay, well, what's he going to do? Um, at the time, my dad was, he knew a couple of DJs and yes. he was like, well, maybe he can shoot weddings. I remember right when I got, as I was finishing college, I ended up booking my first wedding with a buddy of mine. And yes. this is when digital was, this is in 2003. Okay. When digital was super expensive. Memory cards were super expensive. Everything was expensive. The technology was really weak. And man, our game plan was to overshoot uh, and over deliver yeah. on, on an era that was just kind of starting off. Sure, sure. Um, but, you know, that led to kind of me pursuing a whole career down this path. Yeah. Um, and I had to just be just a critical thinker. I had to learn where, where all the gaps were, where I could fill in. Yeah. And, you know, when I got out, it just, I was grinding. I, I was grinding right as I was getting out of out of college. Yes. And it wasn't something I was like, oh, I'm going to have a career in, yes. in photography. It just ended up being the gigs were coming. And sure. That's where we, I So that first up. wedding gig, you just yeah. overshoot, over deliver. Yeah. But I mean, that's, a, you know, a great business plan. And it turned into this word of mouth, this referral, yeah. and it kept going, right? Yeah. But when, when in the midst of all of that, two things, when did cars become such an integrated part of your life and your photography? And then when did you decide to open up, you know, the first business? Um, well, I'm, I was always into cars, like all through high school. Sure. You know, and so I was in high school in 94. Yeah. So when I think about some of the guys older than me, yes. you know, like two, three, four, five years older than me. Yes. You know, they were in the era of like, you know, EFs and civics and, okay. you know, and at the time I remember there was a lot of, you know, all the Asian gangbangers and all the, the Asian dudes on SGV and stuff. Yeah. You know, at the time, you know, everyone was cutting springs and throwing on rims and or just you know running on slammed ex hubcaps and sure you know that whole lifestyle was is like super intriguing because yes. it's like dude these cars look dope yeah you know yeah. and so for me getting into high school there was a, a lot of that element that i was always intrigued by um and of course all through my life you know i was always pursuing cars but i wasn't a heavy modification type dude because Either like my money was going somewhere else or I was, you know, trying to grow something else. Yeah. And so like, you know, my cars were modded, but not to the degrees that like a lot of you guys get into SEMA build and stuff. And so, um, you know, but I kept on pursuing cars all throughout that time. Yeah. In 2006, um, I got married. Yes. And at the same time I was doing photography, I was also doing real estate. And in 2006, like my wife wasn't a real big fan of doing sales. My wife is an introvert, so she doesn't like talking to people. Okay. Um, and also, I knew in two, we got married in May of two thousand six. I knew at that point real estate was still hot, but I was like, you know what, this market is going to crash. Okay. For sure, I had an intuition that was going to crash. So you weren't reading any anything that was guiding you in that direction. You no. just had a feeling. Yeah. Okay. I, like all my life, I've always gone on my gut. Okay. Um, 
And sure enough, I've, two, I've always gone on my gut too, dog. Bro, your gut looks like it okay, knows that, what it's talking about. It, it does. It does. <laughs> There's a lot of knowledge in here and calories. Anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, I never trust a skinny chef. You feel me? <laughs> so, um, anyways, in uh, 2006, uh, I told my wife, I was like, you know what? After we got married, I was like, you know what? Let me transition full-time into photography like i was always doing photography full-time already and doing real estate okay but oh, just drop real estate and just all into the photography hardcore, yeah. yeah yeah so um in all my life ever since like 2000 like the last corporate job i had was in 2001 okay um but ever since then i've always had multiple like full-time businesses you know like i'm gigging everywhere yes um and and, and the, a month later i bought an s2000 car that like i've always wanted and I started pursuing photography on a commercial level okay, and also started doing, um, so I started kind of honing in on the market and saying, at the time I was tired of shooting weddings. I was doing weddings already for about three and a half years. Okay. And I was making really solid money. Like all my, a lot of my college graduate friends were like, Hey, what are you doing now? And I was like, man, I'm shooting weddings. And people are like, weddings? Yeah. And they just, they, they kind of scoff at it. Yeah. They were like, what the hell? I'm yeah. Like, shooting weddings. But I was making a killing, dude. I was making... I was making some really solid money. And even with that income, you still decided to, to move past it. Yeah, yeah. Because to me, like I've never been motivated by money. Like I think a lot of people who know me know that. Like I don't go, oh shoot, I, I should So stay. you weren't getting fulfilled doing the wedding. Exactly. I see. Yeah. So Wow, um, dude, capturing people's best moment in their life and you weren't getting fulfilled. But you know the thing is, is um after at that time, like weddings weren't Society was a little different. I mean, if you think about how like Instagram or social media has changed the perspective of, of things, like okay. when people do things for the gram, yes, there is a real perception to that because back then people were still doing things, but now it's everything is, is more over glamoured and over over the top. Over the everything top, is over the you top. You know, and so back then, you know, nobody was going, "Oh, dude, I need to have a specialized ranch wedding." Or, for sure, you know, people now everyone needs and, to be on a cliff with a view and a waterfall. <laughs> And rainbows and unicorns, for sure. Exactly. For sure. Bro. So it was one of those things that I felt like it was getting to the point where it was getting a little mundane. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I was doing the same thing repetitively, you know, church, hotels. Sure. And I was, like I said, I was making a solid income, but, you know, I wasn't really motivated by it. So I started kind of entering into, uh, one day I was making some flyers for this real estate ad, and um, I was like, dude, what? I'm paying all this money for all these stupid photos I could do myself. For the real estate ad? Yeah. Okay. So I started doing some stuff on the side and ended up getting into stock photography. Yes. And that ended up turning into a whole other thing. Like my whole career, that path blew up. My Because okay. my type of work that I was doing, like I honed in on the market. Like I wasn't shooting stuff I was passionate about. And here's the thing. Like I'm a, I'm a little, there's a little bit of a duality to me, right? Because like at, the, at, at that time, I'm shooting things that I'm not passionate about, but the money was so easy sure. that I was just like, dude, I'm going to do this. And that was the first real time where I got a taste of passive income. Because I would go out and shoot, let's say, um, a stack of pins. Yes. Right? And I'll take a picture of that. Sure. And I mean, I'm passionate about that. Sure. But I knew that once I shot that one thing one time, yes. that I'll be making money on years. And there's some photos like... Like boom boxes. I remember one time I had my mom's old boom box that she had when she had her, her, her cleaners. It was like an old Panasonic boom box. And I probably made at least $12,000 on a single photo. Uh, in, what, in what capacity? In probably four years. Like, so basically when you take a photo and it goes up on the agency, it yeah. sells, right? Sure. For usage rights. Imagine like 
taking a photo of something and just getting paid out. I mean, I still get paid out stuff from 2006. Sure, sure. You know, here but we go. look at how way that's evolved. Now you, you, they'll buy it from you one time, and then you know a lot of places that's it. People sell that that right. But you did it so that you got royalties. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So to me, like that whole idea of royalties was was eye opening. Yeah, passive income, shoot it once and just get checks. Yeah. So I was doing that, but at the same time, I was also I started to pursue because I was giving up my. I was still shooting weddings, but I was weaning down. I ended up saying, you know what I want to do is I want to shoot kids. I want to shoot kids. Sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah, it it was terrible, but (laughs) but the the reason why I, I hit that market was because I knew a lot of photographers weren't doing it well. I see. And so to me, it was a strategic move. I knew that I could charge a hefty amount to shoot kids. You mean portrait photography? Yeah. Okay. So for the family, family type photos of the kids? Yeah, just mainly kids. So I ended up finding a lot of wealth. I found one wealthy family in Beverly Hills. Okay. Um, this young Jewish family that uh, saw my work and um, I went out and I shot them for free. <laughs> Um, just did a really nice job with it. They were just blown away by it. Okay. They what they did was they told their entire circle. Yes. And people were calling. Me. I just shot that one free one. Yes. And I thought it was gonna take me at least five or six. Just off one that one shoot, I got plugged into their entire circle. Okay. To shoot, uh, to do photography Children. of all their kids. Yeah. And at the time, I was charging eighteen hundred bucks for like an hour and a half session. Okay. For for children's photography. Yes. So I remember when I was shooting this one kid, Jacob. It was his, um, it was his, I think his 10th birthday. Okay. And for me, I knew that I had to build a rapport with somebody like super fast. Cause kids, if they don't like you, oh, they yeah. get a lot of sad photos. And when a client's paying you 1800 bucks for an hour and a half, they're yes. like, yo, Drew, uh, yeah, what is this? Sure. You know? Sure. So I remember at the time I was like, Hey, what do you like doing? He's yeah. like, Oh, I like basketball. So at the time I was like, all right, let's play basketball. And mind you. I don't play basketball. Yes. So I had my camera on my, my, my right hand. And at the time, I had to learn how to shoot blind really well. So I got to the point where, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to play basketball with him. I'm playing defense. But I had my camera. And yes. I was knocking out the photos. Um, I remember when I handed the photos over to that client, the mom was just like, wow. Yes. Insane. Um, and so I got plugged into these circles. And I was making, you know, for these parties, I was, gonna, I was making a killing. But... I did that for about two years and realized driving to Beverly Hills. During, well, what I wanted to do was I didn't want to shoot weddings anymore because I wanted to keep my weekends. Yes. So my photo shoots were only during the weekdays. Okay. That was my original plan. I want to find these rich families where the mom's home and shoot on a Wednesday. Okay. Problem is, is that in these wealthy homes, like a lot of my clients were off Rodeo Drive. Yes. The problem is that the moms and dads both work. It's not just the dad bringing home all the money. Okay. They both have, they usually both work. So I ended up having to shoot on the weekends anyway. Yes. So I got to the point where I was like, man. Were you getting burned out even with the income? I wasn't that I was getting burnt out. It was just that um, um, I realized that it still wasn't motivating me enough. It, okay. It, 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 like, it, it was cool. I liked it. But not to the level of where I felt like the money would keep me to stay. Okay. So uh, then I started concentrating on stocks almost full time. Stock photography. Yeah. Yes. So in 2008, like my stock business was just booming. Booming. Yes. Um, at the same time, photography was getting cheap. In 2007, 2008, full frame cameras were coming out and things were getting cheaper. And I just remember there was a whole wave of people starting to get into photography, yes. buying cameras. Yes. And they would hit me up and it's like, hey, Drew, 
um, can you help me on getting a camera or what oh, lens should I get or can I borrow a lens? Yes. So I was letting people borrow stuff. And what was happening was people weren't returning it to me. Yes. And I had a, then I would have a gig coming up. And you couldn't get it back from them. And I couldn't get it back from them. And so um, when, and then I would get pissed off. And I would For call sure. people. I'm like, yo, what the fuck, dude? Where's yeah. my shit? Yeah. So they, they started bringing it back, but they would pay me money. They were like, hey, man, I had it for two weeks. Oh, my bad. My bad. Here's okay, money. Okay, okay. And so then what ended up happening, people kept telling people, and then circumstantially, I became a rental house. Yes. I was running off Craigslist and stuff, and then eventually, um, I ended up opening up a shop. Yeah. And What year did you open IE Photo Rentals? Like I started doing it kind of low-key, like 2010. Yeah. 2011 is when it started to kind of become official. Yes. Um, but... To me, there was times where I was about to expand out to L.A. and expand out to Orange County. Yes. But to me, it was like I didn't want to bear that idea of like having to run multiple operations. You know, running one operation is already extremely stressful. Yeah. And very expensive. You know, when I started renting gear, uh, you know, renting gear makes sense on a short-term level. But when you're playing a long-term game, it's very expensive. And at the time, of course, I was going to banks and stuff trying to get loans. But, you know, banks are funny. You want money so you can grow your business, but they're like, oh, you're a new business. We're not going to give you money. Sure. And then when at the point where you're making money, you don't need their money no more. Now they want to give you. What yes. do you need? How much do you need? Yes, you know, take, yes. take my money. And it's like, you know, life's strange that way, you know. And so I bootstrapped everything. Uh, and I'm one of probably the only most organic rental shops you will find in this region. But at the same time, uh, when I was growing it, um, I put all of my heart into it. I stopped shooting because I love meeting new photographers where I can help guide them. Okay. You know, like let's say you come in and it's like, oh, I want to shoot my son's seventh birthday party, but sure. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'd give a lot of people advice and stuff. And eventually, you know, people see your work and they're like, man, I like what you're doing. Your work's really awesome. How can I get you to teach me? And so I would, you know, I would start taking on interns here and there. Um, but it's... Uh, it's interesting. I learned a lot about the willpower of people. Yes. I also learned a lot about when people say they want to do something, and then you find out 90% of people don't have, 95% don't have the willpower. Don't have the willpower. Because everybody. They don't know how to see it through. Everybody wants everybody wants the grand prize. Yes. They, they want, want the magic solution, right? They were like, oh, I just want you to tell me to do this one thing, and sure. I, the money just flows in. Sure. And when you tell them the secret, which is fucking persistence, hard work, discipline yes all the things that you don't want to do that's when they're like uh, yep 90 98 percent of people they don't they just do they just disappear they yeah. get filtered out and you know what's crazy is as we've evolved in this new generation they don't make it and they're mad about oh, it oh yeah they're mad and it's very it's a very difficult thing it's one of the points i always drive home you know when i have personal conversations i get a lot of dms right people you know look to me on a very personal level or the people who listen to the podcast is a lot of people talk to me about that, Drew, and they and I try to explain to them. And I was just like, you guys have to get off social media. It's a hyper real, surreal, unreal like perception of the way the world works. It's people think it's a Disney movie, yeah. right? Like you know, it's work, just like relationships. You know, people who've been in marriages they say it's work, right? People think that it's a Disney movie. You see someone you're attracted to, they're attracted to you. Golden glitter starts fucking falling from the sky and you just like, you know, smash each other daily and it's amazing. That is not how that shit works. Yeah. That's why the divorce rate just keeps climbing and climbing. Businesses fail, et cetera, because that 
that drive, that persistence, that work ethic, that willpower to claw at the ground while uh, the world tries to take it away from you. People, they aren't built for that anymore. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and you know, I know younger generation, they probably get super tired of hearing older people say, oh, the, you guys are fucking soft because they are fucking soft. Amen. Right. And it, I don't know if it's because their parents or lack of. I don't know what it is. But I mean, you know, I remember hearing about you before I knew you. Right. We had a lot of mutual acquaintances because of cars. Right. Yeah. The car community in SoCal was only so big. Right. So it's only it's only going to be a matter of time. But I remember, you know, the photo rentals and a lot of people were getting into that. Like you said, around the six, seven, eight, 2009, 10 photography is just getting more and more and more popular. I mean, it's crazy because nowadays you see 16 year olds that are walking around with reds and Ronins and yeah. and just crazy gear. And I'm like, you know, how did you even, you know, so so I think it's amazing that from from. Weddings, stock photography, these business plans for a wealthy family in a, in a wealthy neighborhood, and then you inadvertently and organically become like a rental service, and then you're like, let me turn that from Craigslist and under the table to let's just make an actual business. Sure. And I mean, IE Photo Rentals is a staple, sure. right? You have steady business, loyal business, and uh, you know I've gotten stuff from you know you guys over there, and um, I, I just it's been for me. I always look to the people who made it and i also like to look at the people who failed and are coming back because some people get beat down once and they're done right so in the midst of all that you had these these the ebb and the flow right of things good and bad great right stock photography passive income you start to figure out these ways right you get to this point where you know you end up allowing ie photo rentals to to be run by your boy right yeah. so it's kind of in that sense passive right yeah. And you put your time into 9-11 cooled, which now we call cool collective, yeah, right? Yeah. So start off with 9-11 cooled. Like why that name and that premise? So in 2017, I um, – so when I, when I met Pro, shout out to my boy. Yeah. Um, I met Pro in 2010. He was in Fresno and he wanted to come to L.A. And I had a room for rent. He was renting a room for me. Um, and at the time he was also, we were splitting a space on the corner over here across the street and he was splitting a space, just office space. He was working on his music stuff. And at the time I, um, I split up with the, um, with the entity that was involved in that corner space. And I, I wanted my own space. Sure. Um, and I told pro man, if you want to come, you know, let's go. So he ended up coming with me and circumstantially I ended up, you know, like me and pro ended up kind of being this really sweet, uh, melting of, like just harmonious energy. Okay. Um, and Pro's like one of these guys. When when he first came into uh, my shop, he didn't know anything about photography. Okay. And what he would do is he started to just kind of mimic me in front of customers. He saw how I would interact with All my right. customers and be like, dude, this guy knows his shit. Right. And he would just, when I wasn't there, he would just mimic what I was saying. He doesn't know what he's saying, but he's just like, yeah, maybe you go to 2470, 2.8, blah, blah, blah. And over the years, he started to kind of, and this is kind of the beauty of Pro is really an example of somebody, like, a lot of people use the excuse, like, oh, I don't know anything about it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go that way or that route because, you know, like, I don't have any experience or love or whatever for that. Okay. But Pro, like, circumstantially, Absorbed the information, okay, and just picked up on it like major. 
And it's just like one of those things when you surround yourself with people. And this is the reason why you know you hear it all the time. If you want to be successful, hang out with successful people because you will absorb even if it's just crumbs or bits and pieces of their knowledge. That's only going to elevate your game. Yes. You know, if you're always hanging around a bunch of knuckleheads, you're always going to do knucklehead things. Yes. And so, um, and Pro was always able to absorb all that information over the last ten years. Yes. You know, now he's at the point where he shoots. I mean, he shoot, there are times where he shows me a photo. I'm like, damn, bro. Yeah. Like, you know, and because he was able to be in a position where he had an open mind. Yes. That allowed him to grow and absorb information. And this is kind of going back to this whole college information that we were talking about earlier. Like, if you want something, there's no reason why you fucking cannot have it. When I hear fucking young kids today talk about the boos and who's, I'm fucking like, I get so fucking pissed off. Sure. I don't even, like, I was talking to one of my old interns yesterday, um, two days ago. Phil, yeah. fucking, I know you're watching. Like, I was telling him, he goes, he was like, because you know what he fucking told me? He goes, oh, Drew, I want to put you down as a reference because I want to try to go get my master's degree. Okay. And I was like, the fuck for? Like, what, like, what major? Yes. You know, and he was talking about, like, fucking some engineering degree and all this stuff. And I was like, what do you want to do with your life? Yeah. He couldn't fucking answer me that question, yet he wanted to go and get his master's degree. And I was like, fuck that shit. Like, yeah. I was getting so, I was on a three-hour conversation with him. And I was like... And I told him at that at the end of the conversation, I was like, you know, Phil, the reason why I don't do this shit no more is because all you fucking assholes fucking ask a fucking thousand questions and you go and fucking do the exact fucking opposite. opposite. And I told Phil, look, I know you're going to still fucking pursue the fucking degree even after this three hour conversation. Yes. And I was like, you know, the only reason why I'm doing this is because I fucking love you. Yes. I got fucking love for you and I want the best for you. You realize that I fucking get zero Zero fucking commission, which whether you get a degree or not. There's nothing in it for me at all. And I was like, how much of what I said in the last three hours made 200% fucking, how much of that made sense Sense on the highest level? And what did he say? And he was like, dude, everything you said made sense. But I was like, you're still going to go and do the asshole thing. He was telling me, oh, you know, his dad comes from Lebanon. And, you know, the old school thinking was like getting a master's degree was kind of like the ultimate way to make your parents happy and all this shit. I was like, look. Fuck all that shit. Yeah. Because your parents come from a different place, a different culture, a different, different time. time. Yeah. Like all that shit is so fucking behind us. I was like, let me ask you something. If you didn't have a master's degree, let's say you went out and fucking did something to make some good solid money. Yes. Then you went out fucking to Lebanon and helped people over there because you know somebody that's a third world country, is a war torn sure, country. Sure. You went over there and started a charity that yeah. helped people over there with maybe water or, or like shelter or food. Sure. You think your dad's going to go, oh, oh no, no, no you don't have a degree. You. You're a fucking idiot. Yeah. I, I'm so embarrassed of you. Yes. Like, you're doing all these great things, but because you don't have a degree, yes. I can't fuck with you. I was like, tell me this. Did he answer you? Oh, of course he what did. What did he say? He goes, of course you're right, 100%. And yet, he still is going to go do it. We'll see. You know, Phil? I mean, maybe because you went from zero to 120 very quickly oh, right no, there. That's how I do so, it. Hey, so maybe... He's going to see this and just be like, I feel like I'm being yelled at again from that three-hour he conversation. Told, he, 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 he knows how I am. All my interns know how I am because I always give it 100% real. That's a beautiful thing. And I, and I, I was like, I wish I was surrounded by people who did the same thing because yeah. it's a shock into reality. Yes. And I told him, I was like, you're going to go to fucking college again. It's going to take you one and a half to two years and another forty to $60,000 yep, yep. to get a fucking degree just so you can be broke again. I have fucking customers at my shop that went to Harvard University. That may or may not be making money. I mean, and they're renting from you. Well, yeah, but you know what? I don't use a renting thing as a 
think that's necessarily meaning that they're short of money. Because sometimes, you know, like smart business people, sure. they'll rent stuff because they know that it's a tax write-off. They yes. don't have to take care of the gear. Yes. So like when people come in, you know, you get people who are financially struggling, but they also get people who are financially savvy as well. Yes. So, you know, it's it's we get people for all different type of reasons. But more than anything else, like all my interns, like they know that I always, like when they ask me, you know, there was a time where I had a lot of cars. Yes. And when I get a young, fresh intern, they're like, man, where, where did you get this stuff? Yes. And I'm like, oh, here, come here. Come here. Boom! I'm like, what the hell do you think I got this stuff? Freaking from hard work yes. and grinding. Yes. I was like, my dad doesn't have money. I don't go, yo, dad, um, I saw this 997.1 GT3 over there. Uh, can I get 100, 100 racks real quick? Yeah. I, need a, I need to get it. Yeah. You know, I'd be like, no fool you know what i'm saying like everything i've ever had came from me saying hey look there's my goal right there sure fucking let's go so speaking of that right you're just talking about 100 racks to get a certain porsche of a certain trim of a certain year right 911 cooled i mean clearly very porsche specific right Uh, 911 specific yeah 911 specific so you're talking about growing up seeing all of the um you know the the community being into the japanese cars and imports and hondas etc and you liked them but when did that make its turn still liked them cool but how did you end up making a turn to specifically focus on the p car community so i mean it's funny it always goes back to my wife because like you know the comment you said outside about you know the honda guys you know switching over yes um for me, like my journey, I like everyone's journey is different. But the way I ended up in the Porsche world was in twenty, in, in two thousand nine, I had my son. When I started, you know, the, the rent shop. Yes. You know, my son was also born. Um, around 2012, 2013, 2014, my wife was always like, because I had S two thousand, my NSX, and yes, all, all these two seater cars. My wife's like, look, uh, bro, you can't keep going this direction because like, we now you, have a third member you, of the family we have we have a son you yes. need to have some cars with back seats yes. so my wife is thinking like i'm gonna go out and buy a station wagon or a sedan or whatever <laughs> so i'm like all right all right i'm looking let me uh, let me look for a car sure right? sure one day i'm walking in a parking lot and i see a 911 and um at the same time you know magnus walker's documentary came out i remember seeing it in 2014 oh, and i remember you know kind of that kind of opened my eyes a bit because i wasn't you know, a lot of us Asian guys, we didn't have people who had 911s or Porsches in for general. Sure, for so sure. it wasn't, I never claimed to be like, oh, I've always been a Porsche fan. I tell people straight up, like, I never even owned a European car till I, I got my, until I got my 911 in 2015. Yeah, 2015. And, um, you know, I had friends with Europeans. And I was like, oh, you need to get a Euro car. And I was like, eh, I'm not really big into Euro cars. I like my Japanese cars. Yeah. And at the time, you know, I had my Evo, my Estelle. I had all these cars. Yes. And, uh, and, and when I was in the parking lot, I was walking by and I was like, yo, this 911 has a back seat. Yes. And instantly, before, like, I wouldn't ever noticed it, but because my wife's like, you need to get a car with a back seat. It's not even a spacious back seat, but a back it's not, seat But it's enough for a kid. Sure. So to me, it was like, boom. I found my family car, bro. Okay. So at the time, in, 20, in 2014, I was looking for a 911. Um, January comes around 2015. Um, I'm looking between... The prices were already on the rise. They were, yeah, they were already starting to creep. Yes. And... I was looking at a 997.1 GT3, which doesn't have back seats. My wife didn't know that. <laughs> and I was also looking at a 964. Um, and I don't know how I came onto a 964. Cause, I mean, because 964 are, are super hot right now. And they have been for a little bit of time now. But for some reason, some way, like, the 964 intrigued me. Okay. And to this day, I don't know if I can put my finger on exactly why. I just wanted one. It was 90s, I guess. Um, 
And I found this guy in North Carolina who was selling one. Okay. In Ohio, I found a GT3. Yes. So I was going back and forth, and it was just going on for weeks on weeks on weeks. And it wasn't, we weren't closing. Yes. And so we got to the point where I was like, man, whoever decides to sell me their car first, that's where I'm going with. Yes. So the guy, Mike, in North Carolina, we finally came to an agreement, and he sold me his car. Okay. And it came. It took like a week. Yes. My buddy Wes, who's got tons of European cars, was there with me. It's getting delivered by my house, and it, I can, like, I like my cars meticulous, like okay. super clean. Yes, absolutely. So this car comes, and on the top shelf of the, the truck, I can already tell there's paint issues. Okay. So my buddy's looking at me, and he can already And in tell. the pictures and, and the conversation. <laughs> it looks super clean. You know, there was no indication of yeah, that. Yeah, and sure. I didn't grill him enough, right? Sure. And I could tell, I was like, dude, there's already like a massive paint gash right there. It's coming down. And I was just like freaking irritated already. Sure. I was like, oh, man. So then what happened when it got all the way down? So when it got down, I told my buddy, Wes, mind you, this is my first Euro car ever. Okay. Yeah. I told him, I was like, look, uh, let's just do a drive around the neighborhood. And if I don't like it, I'm going to list it tonight. Okay. I'm going to sell it. And this was all a big mistake. So he's like, all right. So we get in. And the first thing I remember, like, I mean, any old air code, you know, owner knows this, but as soon as, and I didn't, I didn't have any preface getting into air code cars because I didn't know anybody who had one. Yeah. I don't even let me drive their cars. I didn't know any of that stuff. Okay. So to all of this, to me, when it happened, it was almost like an innocent circumstance. Yeah. So I went and opened the door and that click, like it just shot up through my body. And I was just like, Whoa, okay. what is that? Okay. That sound and that triggering yes. was like, okay. Of the way the door opened, yeah. yes. And so this car already came modified. It came with Ricardo Sportster CSs. It was already lowered. It came with Hartmans. It just it was already okay. set up. Okay. You know? So I got in. I just remember like, man, it smells not. It so smells paint like gash old aside. You're not even thinking yeah. about the paint gash yeah. anymore. Yeah. Right now I'm just thinking like, okay, there's some there's something happening with it. Okay. Right? But still, I was like, you know, let's see what happens. And before I had that, you know, my NSX, like, I mean, I'm a huge NSX fan. Yes. I love everything about it. So as soon as we got to the road, instantly, I was like, I told Wes, I was like, wow, this reminds me of an NSX. Okay. I mean, granted, they're very worlds apart, and that's a whole other conversation, but it had inklings of NSX resemblance. You know, okay. that type of car, GT car, I guess. Okay. Um, uh, but it had back seats. Yes. So to me, there were certain things I was willing to let go for the fact that circumstantially, I had a son and yes. I had to put him back there. Sure. We went around the block and came back and I said, yo. You were hooked. I was starting to get hooked. Okay. We drove around a little bit more that night. And by that night, by the time we got home that night, I was like, dude, I think I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it. Okay. I think I'm keeping it. And then it became kind of an obsession. But later on that year, um, I still couldn't get the GT3 out of my head. Yes. Because the first Porsche I literally fell in love with was a 996 Turbo when I was younger. It was like on my walls. But really, it wasn't until the 997.1 GT3 came out in magazines. That was a car where like, there's only a couple cars I remember where I first saw them. Okay. The first was the NSX in 92. I remember exactly where I saw it. Okay. The color, everything about it. And then the other one was 997.1 GT3. And I, I absolutely needed one. Okay. okay. And then six months later, I bought a GT3, which those two, the NSX, the 964, and the GT3 uh, were three cars that never let me down, ever. There are tons of cars that I've driven where I'm just like, you know, I don't want to say the brands because I don't want to get people all butthurt. Okay. But there's certain cars I've driven where I'm just like, 
just didn't do it for I you. bought it and I was like, eh, it doesn't do it for me. Yes. Okay. So, but those three cars just never, ever let me down. So every time you get in. Every time I get in. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so that's kind of where it started. And at the time I started, I remember I was like in the shower and I was like, man, I want to kind of come up with a cool name. Ended up coming with 9 Cold after yes. about a week. And I started it, but I didn't really do much with that. Just put up a couple pictures. It wasn't until 20, it wasn't until September 2017. That's where I started to go, hey. Uh, I want to build this brand. Yeah, but also it also started with my wife again. So a lot of this really stemmed from my wife. My wife always tells me things, but it always takes me like a couple of years to kind of get into motion. So my okay. wife's always like, you know, she's super patient with me, but she will say something and it'll linger in my mind. And then I'll always try to find a way to make it happen. Okay. But, you know, I always got so many things going on. Like, I don't, like, my wife will say something. I don't try to change my life drastically. But I always remember, like, my wife, she loves to travel. She loves Paris, all this stuff. So at the time, like, I was always at my shop. I lived there, basically. Yes. I knew all my customers. I knew all the problems. But I started realizing, like, my wife wanted to travel. And I wanted to travel before, like, we got old. Okay. So in 2017, I told my shop manager, I was like, yo, I'm going to take some time off. Okay. Like I trust you, you're my brother. Like run it like how you you would run it. Sure. Right. And so I trusted him. You know, he was there for a long time with me, and uh, just on a whim, just one day, I just cold turkey just stopped coming in. Okay. And you know, and 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 that's almost I'm coming across almost you know two and a half years now. Yes. But man, it's been a long journey, bro. Like for sure. I mean, there's a foundation for that. It's not just yeah. some whim, yeah. right? You have a foundation, and then you know, with with what you just explained about you know developing into these different P cars, and then you created 911 cooled. But I mean, I mean 911. But why 911 cooled? Like, what does that mean? And you were only able to do that. Did you already have the idea when you decided to leave and let him uh, run the shop? Or did it come after no. the fact? So actually, when I when I left and actually I, I left in August. Yes. And I said, "Hey, look, um, take over." Yeah. Uh, at, the, at the time, my son was twenty seventeen. My son was like eight years old. Okay. Um, he said, "I want to do." You know, every young kid is like, "I want to do YouTube." So I was like, "All right, well, I'm gonna." Start, I started three YouTube channels. Okay. I did one for my son. Yes. Uh, I did a family travel one because we were traveling at that time. We were going to New York and all these places. Yeah. I did a family and food travel one and then I started a car page. Okay. And I was like, whichever takes off the fastest, that's where I'll spend most of my time. Okay. So I was making this stuff for my son, but I was being kind of a, I was being kind of a really strict, um, what do you call those? Like, um, I was kind of like a helicopter parent over my son because sure. I was trying to get him to memorize the lines better. And I was trying to get him to perfect it. And, you know, he was just trying to have fun with it. But I was like, no, do it again. And, and I also didn't like to do, doing that too much because my son was only eight. And I was okay. like, no, 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 you got to do it again, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I was being kind of a dickhead um, in that sense. And, and, and I knew that he wasn't liking it as much because I'm like, yo, if you want to do this, we got to do it big. You know, you got you to do it on a, on a next level. Sure. And... Uh, I noticed that the, the the car stuff was like it was gaining momentum. The issue with the family stuff that I was doing was that we, in order to have enough content, we would have to be traveling a lot. A lot, yeah. And I was like, uh, I'm still, I don't know if I'm ready for all that. Yeah. And, and I, you know, funding would be another sure, big problem. Sure. And so eventually, that kind of came to an end. Okay. And I just kind of kept on running with 9/11 stuff. I met a couple of people like prior to all of this happening, like my buddy Jason. <clears throat> we met through Instagram. I started shooting his car. I started shooting a couple other people's cars with my buddy Teddy. And then we started kind of formulating kind of like an LA group. Yes. And, you know, like that's where I met Aaron and Jared and all those guys. 
it wasn't like we're like, oh, we should all get nine six fours and we should become a crew. You know, we just we all found out like, hey, you got nine six four, we got nine six four. Like, sure, just came know, together. We just came together. Yeah, you know, circumstantially, and um, and then I started kind of just doing these shoots and kind of building the brand. I knew I wanted to build a brand with it. Sure, because it was a challenge to me, not because of what you may think. It was really a testament to my interns. Because they're always finding ways to bitch about something. Okay. Oh, I ain't got no money. My car's broken. Freaking always. They're always bitching about something. And I wanted to tell them, like, look, fuck, I'm almost 40 years old. I'm going to be 40 in a few years. Um, I'm going to do something I've never done before out of my comfort zone. I'm going to go on video, make videos. Yes. Do all this shit that I've never, I've never even watched YouTube videos. Yes. Like, I was, that Same. wasn't my whole thing. Yeah. And so I wanted to just to prove to them that, that, an old dog can learn new tricks. Okay. And meanwhile, while they're bitching about all the shit that they can't do, I just want to say, I just want to prove to you guys that you can do it. That I could do some new shit. If I can do it, you can do it. Exactly. And when every time you guys, because you know, Dave, are, a lot of my interns already found me when I already, I was already running. You know, what I'm sure. saying? they already found me in my success. Once again, they don't understand the foundation, the hard exactly. work, the the the, the time exactly. that took, that it took to go into it. I mean, the best way to put this is like recently I got that printer. Yes. Right. Um. When I make a poster, like I'm making that super cheap and I'm selling it for like 50 some dollars, yes. right? It's almost all profit. Yes. And it's easy for somebody to go, man, what the hell? You're making all this money. They don't know how much the printer is. Well, they don't know how much <laughs> the printer or no, the ink is. Yeah. The ink costs as much as the printer. Yeah, wild. But, but the problem is, is that they don't understand how long it took to, to get the following, to get to the point where you have demand, yes. where people are like, damn, this photography is something that I like. And then also to the point where people want to support what you do. Yes. Like yes. that takes forever. Yes. Anybody could go out and buy a printer and, and sell it for a hundred bucks. Who's going to buy it? Right. You got to build that demand. And so when I was doing all of these things, I didn't know what it would take to build a brand. All I knew was that like everything I've ever done, I've always put my heart into 100%. When I started a shop, when I saw people in distress, and I knew I had the experience and knowledge, I would give it to them. That's how we got our shop to where it was. Yes. That's how we've been around plus 10 years. Yes, yes. I mean, I only think about how much of a trip that is. Once I think about how many shops go under in less yeah, than five years. Less than five, yeah. So, Two to four, they're done. They're done. They're done, yeah. So for me, it's like a, it's a testimony to that. But because I'm always climbing, I never go back and sit on my laurels and go, oh, shit, bro. Fucking 10 I'm years. Made, I'm good. Yeah, I made it. No, you keep nah, grinding. Bro, I'm always like, Pushing. oh, here's a new ladder. Let's fucking yes. climb. Oh, yes. Here's a new ladder. Let me climb. And so all along the way, when I started 9 Cold, it was originally, when I first started, I was just doing curated stuff because, you know what, I've been shooting for so long, I wasn't trying to become a photographer, like okay. no one in the industry, right? I just okay. wanted to go, you know what, let me showcase some of these other photographers doing dope stuff. Yep. Because yep. I was already surrounded by great photographers, yes. you know what I'm saying, that yes. I helped grow. So I wanted to kind of carry that over and do the same thing in the, in the ninth level world. Go, hey, look, this guy's got a dope photo. People should know him. Yeah. Right? That was in 2017. <laughs> well... All along the way, like I had to change my brand and actually it happened the Friday last year on the Memorial, going into Memorial Weekend. Yeah, I was about to ask. Yeah, I had to change. I can't really talk about it, but I had to change my brand. Yes. And instead of being sour and a little bitch about yes. it, I was like, fuck it. Let's go. It. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not the type to go, oh, fuck, you punched me. It hurts. You yes. know, like got, you know. I Took it on the chin. Took it on the chin. Yep. You know, stumbled to my knees a bit. And here's the funny thing. Here's where it's ironic. When it happened, I was like, hey, it's not a big deal. I'll just change the brand and just move on with my life. Yes. 
but it actually ended up being more detrimental than I realized. Like it took a lot out of me. And I didn't think it was going to be like that. I was like, I'll change my name. I'll just keep doing what I was doing. Yes. But somewhere along the line, I realized something. When I was doing it, I was like, you know what? Since I started the brand, like over two years ago, uh, at the time it was like two years, I was like, you know what? Or almost coming out to two years. It happened just before like my two-year mark. And I was like, you know what? There's a lot of pages that are doing what I started doing. Yes. Like a lot of people are reposting, like okay. repost pages, right? Yes. And it, it, would, it would make me a little irritated that I would go out and I would spend, sometimes I'll spend anywhere from an hour to two hours to find that one photo that yes. nobody's found. Yes. It's easy for somebody to post a photo that's circulating, repost, repost, yes. repost, right? But I wanted to find that one photographer that nobody knows. He's got like 400 followers. And I'm like, dude, this guy's skillful. Yes. But the problem is there's not a lot of those people around. Sure. And so it got to the point where I was like, you know what? This is taking way too much time. Okay. So I said, you know what? I got to go out and do it myself okay and the, the problem was once again i wasn't trying to do that you know but once again you just adapted i had to adapt and I had yeah. to step it up yeah and so a lot of people a lot of people who knew me before cold collector 911 cold they know i've been a photographer for a super long time yes so a lot of people who just started following me recently i remember one time uh uh i met one of my followers at uh, john benton shop and i was in there taking pictures and she came up to me and she's like true she goes, I follow you. I was like, hey, what's up? You know, we start talking. She's like, man, I got to ask you a question. She goes, I want to know how long you've been shooting for. And I was like, oh, I've been shooting since 2002. Yeah. And she goes, and she was like, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. What? Like, Big sigh of relief, right? And I was like, what's going on? Yeah. She goes, man, I thought you were one of these guys who just picked up a camera and learned it in less than a year. Oh. And she goes, man, like, she goes, that brought me anxiety because I'm like, how does he learn so much? I see. You know, and she was like, just, just, it just, Maybe he's just one of these talented kids or whatever the case is. And I was like, nah, man, I've been shooting for this a really a, long this time. This is a decade plus right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Almost two decades. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and, and my expertise came in different levels of the industry. And, um, and so the funny thing is, the, once again, in, in internet perception is when you don't know somebody. Or I remember I heard the, uh, what's that Asian group? Uh, the Far East Movement. Okay. Uh, there was a time where their, their music was playing, played everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. And I remember when they were interviewing him, they were like, man, you guys were overnight sensation. And one of the dudes was like... Bro, everyone <laughs> says that shit, but we've been fucking doing this shit for over 10 years. It just didn't hit it, some mainstream exactly. station. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody underground, all the clubs, they know us. Yes. But now we hit mainstream. Yes. And that's why you guys know us today, but we've been around a long fucking time. And so for me, it's just, it goes back to my, the, the conversation with young kids. They see somebody on Instagram yep. and they see it like, oh shit, this fool's I want to go up. viral tonight. I can go viral tonight. One video, one piece of effort a month in and I'm, I'm going to be rich and famous. Yeah. And there are some kids that are, are that serious. You know, they, they've been shooting six months sure. or 12 months. And sure. for some reason, they got tremendous skill and they blow up and it's just perfect storm. But it's like 0.001%. Exactly. You know, and, and with this new generation, it's getting thinned out even more. Yeah. Every single kid of, over the age of like five is trying to be on YouTube. Yep. Right? So yep. it's saturated. Big time. Like just beyond belief, right? Yeah. Okay. So you talked about that. Being, you know, regardless of the circumstances, going from 9-11 cool to Cool Collective. So why Cool Collective? At the time, to be funny, my boy Tyler, we're in a group chat. And I was like, dude, I have a certain amount of time. I need to change my name. Yes. And uh, my boy was like, why don't you go with Cool Collective? And I was like, eh, it's all right. But I wanted kind of a, I wanted a unique word that's just, it's, it's a bit shorter. Something that, you know, aesthetically look good. Okay. Um, but dude, I spent 
I spent almost close to 30 days yes. coming out with the name. Yes. And, man, I just could not do it. And collectively, you mean nothing that resonated with yeah, you? Yeah. It just, it just was, take, it was taking so much out of me. And, and I, I wasn't being productive because I was just sitting there all day, just going up word combinations, everything. Just trying to Were you also out. sketching stuff out, putting everything, layouts and stuff, everything. and nothing stuck? Nothing stuck. Okay. And, um, but I still wanted a, a piece of word that, that still connected from the old word. Sure. I only had two words, a 9-11 sure. and, and cold. And, you know, I had to stick with the second word. And yeah. so what ended up happening was, circumstantially, I stuck with Cold Collective for the time being, and I was going to switch it later. Okay. But nothing was going on two months, three months, four months, nine months, 12 months. And here we are. Uh, at some point, I had to make it official. And I was like, you know what? I'm the type of person who, who would rather take a word that's more generic and make it mine okay. versus take a cool word and try to make it cool and it doesn't. You know what okay. I'm saying? Like for me, it's like, it doesn't even matter what the name is. It could be freaking marshmallow cars or okay. something. You know? And then I'll just make it mine. You okay. know what I'm saying? So I knew that Cold Collective phonetically, the thing that, that's tough, if you take cool and take out all the vowels, is CLD, which looks like cold. And then collective is still a long word and... Man, it's just it's the worst word combination source that you can use, and shortening doesn't work. As far as shortening is concerned, but it has a ring to it. There's continuity to it. Yeah, it sounds good. It, you know what? In hindsight, I realized that, and so I kind of kept with it. And I kept on running with it, and it's just one of those things that, once again, like you make it what it is. Look, look. I think it's important to drive home, right? Right here, you're gonna have somebody who listened to you spend thirty days. Word combinations, layouts, you know, phonetics, vowels, and, and, and circular designs, and square ones, and trying to come up with something that you could brand, right, that you felt proud of. And for people now, they're going to see the C. They're going to see the photography on the page. You know, the people who listen, who have no idea when they go and look at it. Like you said, now they're going to have an understanding, but anyone else is going to think that that is a deeply rooted brand. And it's and it, there's a reason for it for it to have that type of a flair and class. Yeah. yeah. And now listening to it, they're, they're going to understand where all of that came from. Because if you just come up with two words, yeah, why would anyone care? Exactly. Right. But what's behind it, right? And and you've created that that kind of class to the name. So I, I guess kind of going back to your other question is Cold Collective. The reason, like, I I think, and I'm one of these big people that once again I'll go on gut and also think that things happen. F- for the best, right? Yes. Um, at the time when all of this happened, I knew that the timing was perfect. Okay. Because I knew that my brand was on the cusp of really like getting much bigger. Yes. And I needed to really kind of hone in on, like I was gonna, I always thought it was gonna be kind of the specific thing. But I realized the bigger scope is when I changed the name, like I got a lot of people hit me up saying, man, I like the name better because it is more encompassing, right? Yes, it is. And sure. even though in the last year, I haven't really diversified enough. But last week I made, a, I made an announcement on my page saying that it has come to a point where now we're a year into this. Yes. Where I had to deal with a lot of stuff on the back end. Yes. But starting most likely from June on out, that the diversification of my page, my brand, is going to happen on a much larger scale. Sure, sure. And just like your shirt, you know, you got different flags representing. Yes. You know, I'm going to be representing cars that have... Uh, an energy, a flow about them yes. that I that I and, and I can't say exactly what it's gonna be because I want to meet people like you want to meet people who have that story where they're like, dude, I got this car from my dad. Uh, I built this on my own. This is a budget build. I didn't know what the hell I'm doing. Here I am doing it. And all of these stories, cool stories, 
um, basically comes around this idea, this collaboration about people who just love cars. Yes. Because I think, here's the thing about social media right now. There's so much people chasing clout that just want people to know that they got fucking a Ferrari or a fucking Lambo or yes. a Porsche or whatever. Like, yo, I'm doing good. Sure. But sure. the thing is, like, at the same time, that shit's all generic. Like, it's fucking, yeah, you have a fucking Ferrari. Who cares? It's fucking right, stock right, and right. it's brand new. It's leased or whatever. Like, so what? Yes. You know, I don't give a fuck about that shit. Like, if I give a fuck about brand new freaking exotics, I would have had one. Sure, sure. That's not my case. Like, I want to find a car that is purposeful. Yes. That has a deeper story. Like, my dad worked on automotive, like, uh, audio equipment. Yes. Like, and my dad, like, he's not a big car guy. But if he was, I always think about, like, having that relationship with my son where we get to build a car. Yes. Like, I'll be hitting up you and Ryan, all this stuff, and probably in a couple of years, because I want to build a car with my son. Yes, yes. I want to get to the point where, like, just, just imagine, like, especially Asians. Like, we don't have a lot of those stories where we're like, damn, I built this car with my dad. Sure. Especially, like, first generation born here. Right. We're like building shit with your dad, right? Right. right. And I want to have that legacy with my son where we're like, dude, we built fucking five cars. No, it's a beautiful thing. You know, being a family man, right? Yeah. Your wife riding it uh, all these years out with you yeah. when you're going through these struggles, having your son and, and how you ended up getting into Porsches so that you could have a backseat for little man. Yeah. But you were driven to do that because your wife was like, all right, enough with the sport two-seaters, yeah, yeah. right? And I think all of that's super dope. But I mean, we're talking about this 20-year history of grinding and businesses and establishing yourself in the passive income and branching to another business, right? And we, okay, so I don't know what it is. Was it three years ago? Uh, I go to that uh, toy drive. Uh, the purest one? Okay, so the purest toy drive. Okay. And you know, I don't know if you remember, I just rolled up. I know Sean, I know a lot of the, the people, but I'm not the type, it's not a big affair for me to, to announce I'm going anywhere. Yeah. I just go, right? Yeah. Bring toys, donate them, check out the cars, shake hands with the people who set it up, thank them for doing something charitable, etc. right? I don't try to make it a big deal, right? Um, and sometimes that's to my detriment because people are like, you should, and it'll be part of the, the event. And yeah. I'm just like, okay. But I remember I'm leaving, right? And you stopped me. Now, I already knew who you were, um, very much so by name, by cars, by, by even, even like reputation, right? But I remember you stopping me. Do you remember this? When we were walking away, we happened to park across the street, and you stopped me like, yo, Big Mike, um, can I take a picture with you? Okay. And that moment was actually kind of a thing for me because in your own right, you know, if, to put it in, for lack of a better term, you're a somebody, right? Some people would say that I am, but we both approached each other on that very humble tip and you're like yo can i take a picture with you i met the wifey and son and in that moment i already liked you more than just the positive you had a positive reputation but i didn't know you right and you, it wasn't uh, belittling it wasn't condescending nor was it fanboy it was just yo what's up dude hey can we take a picture real quick i thought it was like a mad chill moment and then from there we've kept in a very personal touch you know and and i think that that's important right it's, it's important because that type of humility in the midst of success is, is crucial because you have things like we talked about social media where people quantify their worth and their value by their follower or subscriber count. And they start to believe they're somebody to the point where other people are lesser. Sure. Right. Yeah. And that attitude does not, you know, it does not fly. Yeah. But, you know, the whole experience as an individual growing up, raising uh, your son, wanting to build a car with him. It's really important because. You haven't quite had that experience, and you're talking about first generations, haven't had it. But, you know, for example, you know the Eibach Hanami, 
right? This is the 16th year, after, you know, since my boy Ryan started it. 16 years. I've missed maybe one in 16 years. So I've, let's say I've attended 15 of them, right? I'm now the host for like the past six years. I remember even six years ago, a guy and a girl walking around with their 10-year-old. Six years later, he's driving into the event. Mm. What about 16 years ago? A woman would be pregnant and now their kid's 16 years old. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and it is very generational. And in the import community, especially Japanese imports, euros, you might find it, right? But in the, in the import community, even P cars, and you don't have a lot of that family history, but that doesn't mean it's not there. And I have a project that I've been trying to work on, uh, with, with some really important, you know, pieces in place, but it has to be right or otherwise it'll just never happen, but it has to be right because I won't do it subpar where we can showcase the family, the, the, the premise of what you're talking about. I want to build this with my son because that hasn't been done before or it hasn't been done enough. And I like that because it isn't, you're still not driven by money. You're still not driven by notoriety, right? You have visions, you have uh, ideas, and you want to see them through. Yeah. And that's one reason why I rock with you. And it's important that people who listen to this podcast or watch this video are going to be able to understand, even they might know me and not you or might know you and not me, there's going to be a perspective which matters. Because we're both two people who've been able to achieve certain things, but because it's based off how you can positively influence other people and based off the art of it and, and the drive and the passion, not off the money or the fame. Yeah. Right? And I think that's, and, and, and you're right. I mean, I think you and I are very similar in that sense because we don't, there's some people, I think, I think the people who really give off that bad vibe yes. are people who always lacked it, right? They're always mm. like, oh, I've, I've never been a fucking anybody. Yeah. And now that I have 100,000 followers, you fucking, now you know me, bitch. Like, there are people who something. act like that when they get 1,000. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's true. And it's like, oh, what the fuck? It's like, I remember there's a situation recently where I met somebody who was like overly pompous. Okay. And it was like, you can tell that he was probably bullied at a young age mm. and it's 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 because he because he's it's almost like he's walking around puffed up all the time okay and it's like yo you see all these guys right here they're all chilled out yeah it's because they're cool man yeah just you, relax bro you know what i'm saying you walking around all tough yeah we can tell that you've been punked all your life yeah because you're doing too much you're doing too much you're way <laughs> over the top yeah, yeah, you know yeah. the guys are at the gym all the time like there's some people who work out for help but there are people want to just get yoked because they were that that punky little kid were just like mm, so they can like, wear a shirt that's about one size too small exactly yeah. two size too small right and so you know some people are motivated by certain things right and whatever it is like you know like live your life but man if you're really doing just stuff on on clout or like just becoming famous off whatever i, I just don't fuck with that shit like you don't fuck with that shit no. i don't fuck with that shit like to me like i don't care if i freaking have two followers or freaking 100 followers my thing always was Here's my journey. Yes. Here's some of my skill sets. Yes. Man, if you guys fuck with it, cool. cool. If you guys don't, also cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not pressuring. That's the thing, too. Like, I remember when I started all of this, you know, people were like, hey, you want me to plug you with X and Y and Z? And I'm like, no, nah, it's all good. Like, if people, I, like, I want to grow this organically. And if, if they want to follow me, cool. Like, I never, sometimes I get people hit me up and they're like, yo, man, can you uh, can you follow me back? And I, I hate yeah. when that shit happens yes, because, yes. to be honest, like just let it be organic exactly if, if you have sure. a conversation someone's gonna check out your page and i'm like yo this guy's dope and i'll follow i you. get a lot of it man i get a lot of it a lot, predominantly younger people yeah young kids they're like how you know how do i you follow me back and i'm just like you need to worry about what you are providing what is the content what does your page do 
that would make anyone want to follow it. Yeah. People just want followers to be followed. Yes. And, and that's a very, very dangerous thing. And as a parent, I know that you have this very difficult journey as, as your child grows and they're already into the YouTube. But at least you can help guide that yeah. in a better way than just this raw, narcissistic kind of like influence. Because that's what it is. It is breeding narcissism. Oh, yeah. And it is extremely dangerous. But, you know, with the growth of, of Cooled Collective... You know, from different things, I know that whatever you do, you're going to go all, all the way in, 150%. You know, and, I, and I respect people like that. And it's important because, you know, there are other people that I know through, through the industry and the community and, and whatnot. And, and people are like, why don't you have them on the podcast? Maybe I'm a fool, right? I don't understand algorithms and business. But if I think a person's a bad person, yes, that's a, a judgment on my end. But if I know a certain thing, I just can't, regardless of how many views and they'll plug in, it'll grow. I don't care, right? I need to believe in someone yeah. and I want someone who rocks with what I do, whether it be the podcast, the, the idea behind it, the Think Bigger project, you know, one love, one culture, bringing people together, educating people, helping the community within itself thrive versus, you know, we have to deal with the outside stereotypes and, you know, whether it be racially, you know, economically, right? All kinds of stuff, right? And so it's about people who believe in each other. And when you have people who believe in what they do individually, and when the, when they believe in what you're doing, and you come together, the sky's the limit. Yeah, you know. Sure. And so I really, really appreciate. I we have so much more to talk about, and I look forward to having a part two, three, whatever. We'll follow up, see how the growth of this brand and the next business. And when you hop on, you'll see how much bigger. I know. I, I humbly believe the growth of the project and the podcast. You know, because because it's about bettering the community and the culture. And so that's why I believe that we rock with each other so heavy, you know? Hell yeah. So I appreciate you, and uh, we'll do another one. And I know that there's going to be so much more to talk about from this point forward. And so, you know, Drew, I appreciate you being on the Think Bigger podcast. It's a pleasure and an honor. Hell yeah, man. Mike, thanks for having me on. And, you know, um, I, I, it's, it's just one of those things that I think that, or, once again, this, this was an organic gathering. You yes. and us being in the space yes. was all organic. Plug to uh, our boys back there. Hey, uh, for real. Work. It was just like, Drew, we need to do this. You're like, no doubt. Next thing you know, this. I mean, super fire location. It's really dope to be able to be here with you guys. And I mean, such a quality production. And I'm honored and I'm blessed to be able to work with you guys to put out something that's worth putting out. There's a lot of content to put out just for the sake of people seeing it and that business model. I don't care about any of that. I care about there being a purpose and a reason and a quality to the content. I think the biggest thing that we should... I you know what I want to also kind of reach out to a lot of you guys listening and watching is I think part of the reason why maybe our younger generation maybe don't like cars or a little bit more lazier I feel like all of these things really stem from us our generation like you know I'm talking about 1980 plus or minus five years okay I don't think we've been doing a good job leading and motivating and inspiring uh, the next level because we've we're at the point where I think because everyone is so introspective and wanting to kind of level up themselves okay. that we're not dragging people up and say, hey, look, let me show you what the next level is at. You know, and I want to also kind of bring in, there was an article written by Joey Lee um, maybe about four months ago, five months ago. And okay. he, really, he really touched on this. And, and this is something that I've, I've been talking about, but Joey put it in a way that's very articulate okay. about um, – why the generation right now, why they, why they rock maybe generic wheels or whatever the case is, why they think they're dope? Because we haven't really been that generation to do things 
on a level that inspires him or shows him the right way. Okay. And I do wholeheartedly, everything he wrote in that article was, man, it was Joey. It's so funny because when I met Joey when he was coming to my shop and stuff and getting some like lights and stuff. But, you know, Joey, like you, you know, he's an intellect. You know, he likes to think and have conversations. And that article he wrote, man, it was, it was, man, it really hit the nail on the head. You know, it's an important thing that that he ended up touching on. And I've talked to some people who are 10 years older. Joey and I have almost exact same birthdays. So I've talked to people who are five, seven, 10 years older than him and I who were doing it before, you know, we were kids at that time when you go backwards and people who were younger. And I've actually gotten a very interesting set of perspectives and I've thought about that. And I found just as much legitimacy in, in that perspective that he wrote and that it resonates with you. And I have found people who have articulated that you could take a new generation and try your damnedest, but when you drag them with you to the point where it stops at hard work, that's when they don't want to do it anymore. Okay, so that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, yeah. Because you could you could have achieved all of the positive, tangible accolades, whether that be car shows, magazine covers, right? Fame, like real organic fame. Fame was a byproduct of, of producing something. That's the way we got it. Yeah, yeah. It's a byproduct. It wasn't the, the point. Yeah. Right? You could do that and they can see that and they want to skip the entire process. So you can have all of these things, and I'm trying to present this in a fashion that, that it, it's resonating. And my listener base is from 14 to like 64. So we're reaching a lot of young people. But you know what? I agree with that. I can, Interestingly enough, I can agree 100% with, with his perspective and versions of that perspective. And I've also sat with young and old people who have articulated in a way that also expresses it in a way that I actually agree with them as well. Because there are many, many of us who are doing all of these things and uh, when it comes to the, oh, yeah, by the way, you need to grind for about four to ten years, <laughs> they're like, oh, fuck that. And you know what? Uh, so what's your response to that? And you're right. And I think I think kind of going back, I wanted to – I didn't get to this earlier, but of the 19 interns that I've had, yes. I would say about maybe four of them are like really kind of out there like really grinding it out. Okay. And then the rest of them are just kind of – they just kind of fell off. So you're and, 19 and only four. Yeah. So look at the percentage exactly. of that. The rest I, gave up. And, and, and that was me – that was me – fucking hounding these motherfuckers sure, you know what I'm saying and, sure. and so and I think you're right but it's just one of those things that like and, and that's the reason why I told Phil like I don't do this no more where because it's like you fucking put your heart and soul into somebody and to see them just fucking just, give just up. fall short yes just I mean just literally like what the fuck did I talk to you about for yes. two yes. fucking years and you're still doing the same dumb shit yes you know and and so you're right it is one of those things that you know maybe it's a combination of all of the things maybe sure. we're not inspiring enough but maybe also they are fucking hella lazy or don't want to do shit or they're just too stupid whatever the case whatever is whatever the case maybe you know but the millennials i've i've seen i've seen some of the hardest working people and i've also seen the most laziest people. sure so sure. i think with any young generation maybe you're gonna get that but at the same time you know there is a sense of entitlement that comes with yes. that and I don't know where it is. I, I, I just feel hopeful and I want to do my part. But when I do talk on, on this scale, I yes. do want it to be at scale because I can't do it with individuals no more because no, it's it just true. takes so much time. True. That is exactly what, you know, the Think Bigger project as a brand started first, right? As a brand and as a movement, as a way of thinking. The podcast ended up being just a subsection, right? Yeah. And honestly, all that really is is a platform to reach people across the spectrum. Right. Instead of me dismissing the millennials, the lazy ones, I just address 
that's it. But it's about bringing people together, right? People who are on the way up, people who are all the way up and crashed, and everything in between. But to provide a, a platform uh, so that people can learn and listen to the community conversation and listen to someone's history and story and take something from that. I, I respond to a ton of DMs, like almost to the point where it's it's an illogical amount of time. But because I'm not getting WIDs, right? What you doings or love your car. I'm getting do par- I'm, if a 14-year-old writes you three paragraphs, yeah. if a 20-year-old writes you paragraphs, they are dumping out their soul because everyone just short, short, short. I'm getting people, you know, that's how I know it's working, man. And so people like you, what they're going to watch and listen to today, it's very important. And I know that we can do round two very soon and touch on all, all those things. Joey's article, a counter, uh, you know, perspective and everything that's in right. between. It's important, you know, but that's what it's about. That's what the Think Bigger Project's about. That's what the podcast is about to, to reach people and, and, and not just dismiss them. But to, to guide them. Yeah, yeah. That's what well, it's amen. about. Well, so I appreciate you, Drew. Round two, man, coming up. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you guys. We'll see you on the next one. Hey, wear a fanny pack. Don't. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs>